Hello and welcome to the Clutch Tennis Podcast. Uh, we're joined this week by Luke, so hello Luke. Hello there. Um, we apologise for a bit of an absence in this podcast. Um, I think social lives and, and personal lives sort of caught up with us a little bit. Um, I myself have been especially busy and sadly, as we've spoken about previously, the podcast is not our full-time occupation and um, as much as we would like to, I've been I've been working a very busy schedule. So uh, probably my fault, but we haven't been quite as active. I think the last podcast we did was Rome and that was a while back now, a couple of weeks. So uh, we, we've not got a recap to start this week off with, um, but we have got something a bit different. And again, we apologise for missing the first week of the French, but I think it gives it a bit of a different look that we're coming into it this week, looking at the event halfway through, which is something that you can only really do with the slams. But um, yes, yeah, so so we're coming at the French Open, obviously. The Grand Slam played on clay. Um, Nadal's uh, best event and probably the the sort of most dominated event that there's ever been in tennis um, by that one man, the Spaniard, Rafa Nadal. Um, obviously, he's still still present in the draw, come halfway through. Um, and we, we today, this is recorded sort of in the morning on the uh, the middle Sunday. So we're, we're pretty much bang on halfway through. Um and uh, the matches haven't actually started today as of yet. So um, so when this podcast comes out, we, some of the stuff we may have discussed might, might have actually happened um, in terms of these first matches. But, uh, but ultimately, we're, we're going to look forwards a bit um, and also reflect a bit on what's already happened this week. So um, I think the, f- the first point of note is um, just to discuss the, uh, the potential GOAT, really, uh, Roger Federer. So, so how do you think uh, he's been this week so far, Luke? Um, I haven't watched a, a huge amount of him. I watched a bit of him against um, Cilic, um in, an, in the first set, particularly. He looked he looked pretty good, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I mean, he hasn't he hasn't had a major test. He's got Berrettini up next, which I suspect he will lose, but I think that that might be interesting. Um, but yeah, you know, obviously, obviously remarkable for a for a thirty nine year old that's played what one one match on clay a loss to Andy Haas so yeah and I think the Berrettini match is going to be really interesting because um well Federer is five to two underdog uh Berrettini's one to three favorites so so I would argue that once again we're actually looking at possibly some value on feds um I didn't think he was value against Kepa when I saw those odds I think it was about one to four on Federer mm-hmm. and Kepa was somewhere therefore in the region of like three to one kind of thing um and I thought I thought that was probably going to be value on Kepa as it turns out Kepa played a pretty good match but still couldn't navigate his way through and I think that sort of emphasizes the class that that even now Federer still brings and the same for the other big uh, of the big three and four really um that probably in slams it's it's still a different ball game playing against them compared to others um other notable performances this week Lorenzo Massetti which is someone I know Luke is very fond of so I don't know if you want to open up with about a bit about how he's been performing this week and his chances going forwards yeah, again, I haven't watched very much of him, but um, he had a great five-set win over... Who was it? Uh, it was against Seccionato. Seccionato, yeah, fellow Italian. Um, yeah, got Djokovic next, which is you know pretty rough, but you know, great week for him to get to the second week of a slam for the first time. And who knows, maybe he'll... Maybe he'll cause Djokovic some problems if he plays really well, but I don't see him winning that, personally. And... Uh... I mean, if you haven't seen it already, anyone who's listening to this podcast, do go and check out the uh, the point on breakpoint down, uh, Seccionato underarm serve, Massetti approaches on the backhand, 
and then hits a behind-the-back volley winner to break serve in the fifth set. Um, it was quite something. Um, God knows what the hell Sechinato was doing, but still, highlight real stuff. Um, for me, looking forward for how Massetti's going to progress in this event, he has got Djokovic next. It's it's not good because he's obviously going to be heavy underdog. His odds are actually 10 to 1. Um, but... Um, I do think that if there's going to be a crazy upset for Djokovic, I do think this is going to be where it comes. Because Massetti's going to come and try and play lights out tennis, ultimately. It's going to be a real case of he is just going to hit the ball as hard as he physically can Mm -hmm. from all areas in the court. And he has got the game and the know-how to move forward and finish points early if he wants to. I do think the class will eventually show and Djokovic will make one too many balls and Massetti probably, if it looks like he actually gets into a chance, if he takes a set, that's always when it's going to be a bit more telling because as soon as you actually think that you have a chance of winning, it really changes the complexion of a match. But um, I I think his ability, especially with that one-hander, which gives him a little bit of extra reach, so the sort of angles that Djokovic can generate, he's going to get there a bit better. Um, And also a bit more pace. He can fire away from there faster than Djokovic can off his two-hander. So... um, he is going to be able to hurt Djokovic, but it's just a case of he's going to be having, or sorry, having to hit that ball probably three or four times at blackout pace to to win a point, and he's going to have to be able to do that the whole way through the match, and probably hope that Djokovic drops his level at some point as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it, across five, it's always a difficult difficult scenario against Djokovic, but it's not as if Djokovic is is unbeatable on this surface. Unlike a different man, which brings us on to the next point of topic that I wanted to discuss, Rafa Nadal and his prospects of winning this year. Um, yeah, I, I still can't see anyone else winning it, really. Um, he hasn't he hasn't had the easiest opening matches. You know, f- first round against Popeye and someone, you know, with a massive serve and massive weapons. So, you know, if it all comes together, you know, he, he can be very tough to beat. And he also, you know, he very nearly took a set off Rafa in the first round. Um, second round against Gasquet, who played the best I've seen him play in years, I thought. Um, still beat him in straights and then played, you know, the informed Cam Norrie, who's, I think, third um, for most match wins in 2021 behind Rublev and Tsitsipas. Um, you know, a lefty, so maybe a favourable matchup for Nadal, but still beat him pretty convincingly. So, so, so I'll stop you there. Just in terms of the matchups for Nadal... I think Nadal is most likely to struggle when it is lefty versus lefty because I think on the dirt against a two-hander, he can pull them really far out wide. And the fact that he has that almost sort of sideways movement on the ball actually means that with a two-hander, you have to pull across to get it back in court, which makes it really difficult for somebody, especially to attack off that kind of ball if you're going into the cross court. It forces them to hit line a lot more, which again, if you're playing someone like Djokovic, it does leave you a bit vulnerable. But... um, but against the majority of, uh, of right-handers, they, they will not enjoy that matchup on clay. Um, the Cam-Nori matchup, by contrast, was a little bit different because if you can get it to that Nori backhand with that heavy whip, um, he was always going to struggle because he hits it so flat. And if you're taking that flat ball from, from either really low or really high, it, it becomes difficult to control, especially on a, on a surface where you might get some variable bounces. It's not like a, a hard indoor court. Um, so yeah, three, three, and three for that match was not unexpected by a long stretch, but um, but still handled it remarkably well. And I agree, the Dale's my man for the tournament. His odds suck. I think they're eight to eleven or eight to thirteen yeah. or something um, for him to win this event, which 
considering the names that are around him are actually crazy at this stage. Um, so I, I don't think that's value, but uh, spoiler, obviously that is my, my outright pick for what it's worth. But something I did want to talk about is the, um, the odds of Nadal to win, even from now, without dropping a set. So he's not dropped a set at all yet, but at eight to one, that would almost be my outright pick, as weird as that sounds. Yeah, um, that that actually is my outright pick, Nadal. Yeah, dropping a set. I I put I put it on my. It was going to be my outright at the start of the tournament. Um, when it was fourteen to one. Um, so yeah, a bit bit hairy in, in the proper match, obviously, but but came through that. So yeah, I I think that has a pretty decent chance of coming in. Yeah, and um, so so we both gone with that as our outright by the sounds of things. Um, Nadal, and if not, uh, then Nadal and straight to eight to one. Um, so probably a, a a unit bet on each of those probably isn't going to go awry. Maybe. Nadal at 8 to 11 isn't great value, but put a unit on it, you might win just under a unit back. So it's, if I say you might, you will. Um, so so that's probably not terrible either, in fairness. I mean, it's pretty crazy, but it's not it's not terrible. you just got to think about what matches has he actually got to win from here out. And um, I actually can't remember who he's got. Oh, no, he's got Sinner. Sinner. Sinner's another guy who actually can take it to him, but it's not a good matchup because uh, Sinner, again, is going to have to pull that two-hander and if there's one wing where, to me, Sinner is especially solid, but isn't going to hurt you off, it's that, it's that two-hander. Um, don't get me wrong, he can bludgeon winners from anywhere. He is that kind of player. But just having watched a lot of him lately, he's somebody who has weapons, but they're not nuclear. They, 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 they can hurt the very best, but can he hit that pace the whole time? No. And secondly, when he then lowers that pace 10% to a pace he can hit the whole time, he will still beat most people outside the top 20 but someone like Nadal on clay is going to make far too many balls. Yeah, and also last year they uh, they played in the French Open, slightly different conditions, obviously being in October, November time, it was a lot slower. But, I mean, Sinner played unbelievably well and still couldn't win a set. Yeah, I mean, Sinner as well, he's not actually, in my opinion, looked that good this French. Uh, five against Hebert, um, he just completely went amiss for two sets with that match. Came through it pretty much just on class more than anything else. Um, then I th- believe he dropped a set against Gianluca Marja. Yeah. Um, if you're not winning that match in straights, I mean, like in the nicest possible way, Marja did play well and he did try and go nuclear. Mm-hmm. But you, if you're going to go deep in these sort of events and then have the the sort of legs to challenge Nadal, possibly over five, then you're, you've got to be cleaning those matches easily. And if you're not cleaning those matches easily what mental state does that leave you in for a matchup like Nadal? It's pretty negative. So obviously he's got uh, he's got Sinner next, uh, Nadal has. Um, and then looking forwards, um, I believe he's in the same half of the draw as Djokovic, isn't he? Yeah. So that would mean it would be a Djokovic semi-final, which probably is his next biggest challenge. Um, again, I, I just think that matchup for Nadal is something that he just eats up all day long. I know he has lost to Djokovic on clay before, but typically it's when there's been something else going on whether that be a 30-match win streak of Djokovic way back when, or whether that be a, a Nadal injury. And they're the only times in my head that I can think of, of Djokovic genuinely beating Nadal on the surface. Um, so so I think with Nadal looking like he's just about reaching comfortable again, um, and Djokovic looking good, to be fair, but, I mean, it's Djokovic. He's always going to look a, a relative level of good. I think... Arguably, Nadal's put out the better performances, and on this matchup, quite frankly, probably should win that match in set uh, straights. And that's something which, when that match comes out, I reckon Nadal will probably be about one to two or two to five favorite. 
and I would be looking at that sort of set betting 3-0 or set handicap minus 1.5 because I'd imagine you'll get either evens or better. Yeah. So, so that's that's where I'd be looking for your value as the in-plays come this week. Just keep an eye out for that because that matchup stinks for Djokovic, quite frankly, and it's it's not going to be not going to be an easy ride, but it'll be blockbuster tennis and almost definitely going to be value on Nadal there. Um, obviously going into the final, the other half of the draw is especially weak. You're probably favouring Sitsipas to get out of that half. Yeah. Um, did drop a set to Isner, but Isner's been playing really well anyway. Um, and then he cleaned them up in the last few sets. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, Medvedev's still in the draw, pulling out his first few wins on clay ever. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't think Sitsipas is going to struggle with that matchup particularly. No, not, not on a clay court. I, I do back Sitsipas to, to come through that, yeah. Yeah, I think he'll have far too much variety. Um, Medvedev is very, very, what I would call, he's not two-dimensional. I know that's the wrong way to say this, but he's, oh, it's like in UTS, they call him the chess master. He works people out, but the way he works people out is a hardcore, really. He, he, he can bludgeon through points with his big serve, which he can't do quite so easily on clay. He will get some free points, but not as many. Um, and then he can mix it up with depths and mix it up with um, pace. If you mix up debts and pace on clay, you do get rewards. But quite frankly, if you don't hit big enough on a clay court, it sits the ball up very nicely for someone like Sitsipas, who will then step inside. And once you're on the back foot on a clay court, you just get pushed further and further and further back until eventually someone can finish it with a volley. Yeah, particularly if, if you hit as, as flat as Medvedev does, it does tend to sit up a bit more. Exactly. And also, Medvedev, he's not bad at the net, but he does try and avoid coming in, really, mm -hmm. which again isn't something that you really want on a clay court. You want to be able to come in and put away angle volleys, yeah. which is the order of the day once you've pushed someone back to the back fence. Um, Christian Garin, actually, um, one of your favourites, has fallen... Um, victim to that quite a lot this week I've found in that people seem to be coming in quite a lot against him and because he does plonk himself back in France uh, on the like north coast somewhere um, he's just yeah he's getting found out a little bit so um, he's yeah Garin will probably struggle in his match against Medvedev next um, but it's interesting because he I think he's two to one is that right yeah well that, that was going to be one, one of my matches of the of the day to discuss, um, yeah, get Gary in two to one, Medvedev two to five, um, head to head is one all, uh, Medvedev beaten comfortably in Montreal in twenty nineteen, uh, but Gary beat him this year in Madrid on the clay, um, the only event I think where Medvedev got a, got a win in three sets, um, that was in faster conditions than here, um, which you could, could probably would have suited Medvedev more. Um, however, Garin hasn't he hasn't been that convincing so far. I think um, dropped a set to Londero, um, had to come back from two sets down against Mackenzie McDonald, um, and then also dropped a set to uh, Marcus Duron. Um, so I think he will be tired as much as a fit guy. You know, playing that playing that amount of tennis, you you're going to be tired, um, and he's not someone who has you know he has weapons, but they're not you know nuclear weapons. Um, so it's, his, his backhand is so bad. <laughs> so it's, it, you know, if it if it's tied, it's it's going to be hard for him to you know keep keep the points short and just just blast winners. Um, so for that reason, I'm backing Medvedev here. Um, but yeah, I think it's 
you know, on a clay court is a matchup that could trouble Medvedev. But I think fatigue will be the biggest yeah. factor here. So it's not it's not something I'm considering to to bet on at all this match. But um, if I was going either way, my my only bet would be on Garin. I I don't think he's going to win personally. Um, but I think it will be close enough that it's not worth the favourite bet on Medvedev, really. Um, I think the matchup sucks for Medvedev. It's somebody who makes a lot of balls, so the sort of grinding option doesn't work, but also somebody who carves out angles a lot. Um, Green does have an issue in that. I know he does come in, but he doesn't come in that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but he can mix up uh, depth, so he can put someone quite deep an angle, and then he can hit drop shots, and that's where he'll hurt somebody like Medvedev, who doesn't like moving on a clay court. Um, but as you say... Uh, for me, it's not necessarily physical fatigue because we are still only a few matches in. I know they've all been quite long. Um, it's more mental fatigue for me that it seems as if he's having to really, really, really fight with himself every match to get the best out of himself. Um, he should not be dropping a set to Marcus Giron, no matter how much he's improved. Um, and nearly losing and being very fortunate that um, Mackenzie McDonald missed an open court forehand. At, I think it was either 5 all or 6 all in that fifth set. Um, at break point up um, yeah, I mean he should well be out of this tournament now and having to fight that hard to get through a match where you should really with the class you've got be routinely winning that in straights um, it's not even a bad matchup for him really it's somebody who doesn't again have many weapons and is just going to make balls um, so so I think there's going to be an element of doubt in his mind about what performance is actually going to come off his racket and he is somebody who when he's not playing that well makes a lot of errors because his forehand's a little bit bigger than his backhand and um, he goes for it a bit more. So if that's misfiring, you're in trouble straight away. And his backhand, the technique on it, is obviously very short take back and a, a bit of a stabby follow through. So you're not going to get much spin off it. So when, when you're not confident and you're not happy to put that ball on a sixpence, he, he just misfires a lot, which for somebody when your whole game is making balls, it, it can look really ugly. Um, but yeah, my, my I'd be saying it's probably value on Green at two to one, but it's not, not something that I'd want to go for if you're actually unless you're wanting a, an actual punt kind of thing. Um, so anyway, that, that's sort of our discussions that we were we were going to have, I think. So what we'll do is we'll just quickly round off a, an accumulator each. Um, we've already set our outrights in the dull, so we don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll, we'll just pick a wild card each. So I'll go straight ahead and talk about my accumulator. Uh, one match I've gone for that we've not discussed is um, Alejandro Davidovich for Kina to, against um, uh, Federico Del Bonis. So the Spaniard versus the Argentine. Uh, Del Bonis has been in incredible form this uh, clay court season and I what's really impressed me is his ability to make balls um, he seems a bit vulnerable on serve actually which is a bit strange but um, for a guy who used to be exclusively big serve big forehand he's he's finding a lot of uh, long rallies where he's coming out on the right side of it and his win against Fognini Fognini didn't really play that well but he definitely didn't tank so that's still a very good win there um, and obviously coming through his, his other rounds without without too much trouble as far as I'm aware. Um, unlike Davidovich Fakina, who just keeps having five sets. Um, I think that's part of his personality and that he actually can't concentrate for more than an hour. Um, and also part of the fact that he's just a bit flaky in general. He hits a massive forehand, moderately paced serve, moderate backhand, but just laser beam forehands. So you're going to miss a few, you're going to make a few. And he seems to be making them at the right times in those fifth sets. Coming through in five against Botic van der Zandschop and uh, five impressively against Kaspar Ruud, which was a match I thought was going to be annihilation the other way. Uh, somebody yeah, who makes a lot of yeah, somebody who makes a lot of balls and can also hurt you um, with pace. So um, I I was really impressed by that, and that's why this match uh, I'm backing uh, David Dovich for Kina. Um, I think I think 
10 to 11 is is really good odds for somebody who can actually hurt Del Bonis. And I think if Del Bonis isn't allowed to sort of sit at baseline level and keep himself in the points, um, I don't think he's going to enjoy it being being pulled all over the place at pace. Um, so that Fognini didn't do enough of. But when he did, Del Bonis struggled. So a bit of an insight into that one. Um, the other match that I, I was going to go for is uh, Alex Zverev, but I've gone for him at um, three love or three one. Uh, it's set betting at uh, two to seven. Uh, reason for that, uh, he has got uh, it's Nishikori, isn't it? I believe, yeah. um, and that matchup just sits very well for him. To be honest, unless Nishikori pulls out a prime performance, he's not dropping more than a set there, or unless Zverev comes out and starts throwing in ten double faults. But he did that earlier on this week and still came through in straights. Um, so Zverev's not looked amazingly impressive, but even Nishikori, the backup matchups, pretty much what's going to happen there. It's about who takes the backhand line first. Um, and that will more often than not be Zverev. And also Zverev at the moment in a bizarre twist is a better mover than Nishikori these days, um, which is really saying something for the big man. So I think if he drops more than a set there, I'd be, I'd be surprised. And I think if it happens, it's it's gonna be due to a uh, a lapse from uh, from Zverev, really, um, serving wise more than anything else. Um, and the uh, the other match that I had, so I had a treble. Um, let me just remind myself. It was uh, Schwartzman at uh, four to nine. Um, so Schwartzman's had a, uh, a sort of under the radar French Open so far, where he's, he's coming through his matches fairly well. I mean, he has just battered an old man in Kohlschreiber in the last round. Um, but uh, I don't know. Um, I just, I'm actually going to have to remind myself who it is he's... Struff. Oh, it is Struff, yes, of course. Um, so so that matchup's really interesting because Struff is not somebody I tend to go against or for. But on this surface, I think Schwartzman's just going to put his, his serve back in play too many times. I think Struff came through against Alcaraz because Alcaraz sprayed the ball too many times. I think the occasion was too much for him especially when he went into that second set tie break. Um, and Struff came through against Rublev. Again, somebody who just came out and misfired. Um, and I think that's the case. Uh, when he plays somebody who isn't going to misfire, and it's going to be all on him to make the ball sort of every time, he's going to have to make these chances count. I, Yeah, he might break Schwartzman, but sure as heck, I think Schwartzman's actually going to break him back. So for me, those odds are actually pretty good on Schwartzman. That whole accumulator comes in at 2.55 to 1. So it's not huge, but not bad. Um, yeah, there's actually a lot of things I, I don't like about that accumulator. I would normally back Dodge for Kina to win that match, but I just think playing two back-to-back five setters, I, you know, I, I wouldn't go near that just because I think he may struggle physically. Um, your set is very. Uh, I I don't like <coughs> set betting on him in slams. Um, just because he can, you know, get pushed to five sets by by basically anyone. Um, and your third match, I've actually gone the other way. I think Struff is value. Um, just because, well, if, look at the names they've beaten so far. As you said, Struff's beaten Rublev. And then two two very accomplished clay quarters in Bagnus and Alcaraz, uh, both in straights. Um, compared to Schwartzman's roots, Jensen Lu in the first round, who's, you know... Only playing for the for the money really, um, using his protected ranking. Um, beat Bedley in the second round. Um, you think it would be a good matchup for him, but actually Bedley dominates the head to head. Um, 
which me and you both thought was a, was a bit bizarre when we saw that. Um, but that, that's not a bad win. And then Cole Schreiber, yeah, I, no idea how he beat Karatsa. But you've you've got to consider. Let's look at the name Strathspeen. Yeah, they're good, but they're all the same type of player. This is a very very different match. So so Bagnis smacks the yellow off the ball. Rublev smacks the yellow off the ball. Alcraz smacks the yellow off the ball. <laughs> Struff smacks the yellow off the ball, but normally bigger than everyone else. Mm. So it's just going to be one where it's a slog fest in those matches. I think somebody who's going to carve out angles and actually move this kid around is going to. It's going to struggle, but that's that's me anyway, differing opinions. Yeah, I just think Schwartzman's been pretty underwhelming, to be honest, in the clay court. Um, he did have a four-match losing streak coming into this uh, this event, um, which, you know, when, when clay's your best surface is, is not ideal. And I just think Struff, when he's playing well, which he clearly is, is is very, very dangerous, you know. As you said, hit just hits the cover off the ball um, and can beat most people, really. Um, so yeah I think considering the, the matches I'd say is on his racket I think I'm always wary of, of going for Struff but I think at 7-4 to four, I think that's worth it so that's the that's the first match of my accumulator uh, the other match I've got um, actually at first I've gone for a, a challenger match oh wow uh, at the Nottingham challenger event the start of the grass court season um and I've gone for the top seed, Dan Evans, um, to beat Tanasi Kokonakis at 8-13. to 13. Oh, yeah, that's good value. Um, you know, Kokonakis has, hasn't played on, on grass since 2018. Um, you know, as we come into the grass court, you've got to bear in mind that there was no grass court swing last season. So, you know, I've probably played more on grass last year than the majority of the top 100. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Kokonakis hasn't played on it for a long time. Whereas Evans, you know, lives on grass, basically. This is the, you know, historically, these have been the few weeks where he, you know, get, gets the majority of his points in a way. Um, won this won this event last year. I think he could go, you know, pretty deep at Wimbledon if, if the draw opens up for him. He'll obviously be seeded. Um, yeah, I, I just think, you know, his game is really well suited to the grass. He, use, he utilises that, that slice backhand. Um really well net moves really well is very willing to come forward and um put the ball away um and use nice little angles um and yeah i, I just think he's he's too clever for someone someone like kokonakis i will just jump in and say um kokonakis yeah, i mean he's picked up big wins on grass in the past so there is a danger there he's got a big serve so that's always troublesome too um the thing that scares me about that a little i, I would still agree is value I was a little bit surprised when you just said those odds because it's not something I'd actually looked at. But um, and the matchup probably does suit quite well with the the, the slice that's going to be coming a lot and keeping low on this uh, on this clay court. Um, grass court. Oh, grass court. Sorry, yeah, my bad. Um, but uh, is actually has been making a bit of a, a return. Actually, I think he won a challenger um, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, again, it was on clay, obviously. But um, but yeah, no. Um, and he's a real talent, which is uh, interesting because I think most people think that Kokonakis should have really lived his entire career inside the top 50, but it's just made of glass. So he's never really had more than half a season on the on the tour at a time. Um, I think he's debated retirement a number of times, actually, because of it. But um, but yeah, it's, it's seemingly he's back at the moment and playing all right. Um, so so that'll be interesting, actually. It'll be 
I mean, first rounds on grass court events are always a bit of a lottery, but yeah, I agree that's probably value. So yeah, that's uh, just a little double from me. Struff uh, to beat Schwartzman at 7-4, and Evans to beat Karkanakis at 8-13. Um, those two combined comes in at 3.44-1. to one. Okay. Uh, I would say we've both gone fairly safe, but um, I mean, I want to say that that an underdog pick in that accumulator and a treble, I suppose, it's it's never safe, is it really? Um, anyway, uh, wildcard times. So last picks of the day, uh, last picks of the French. Um, my wildcard is actually going to be a underdog win for Lorenzo Massetti. Discussed it earlier already. Uh, 10 to 1. I. It just, there's something about that match where he's either going to get pulverised like 1-1-1 one, one, and one, or it's going to be really close and it's going to make all sorts of headlines. And it just, there's something about it that makes me think something big's going to happen in that match. Whether it's a, a Djokovic comes through in five but really gets taken to the wire or or Massetti wins or whatever. I just think 10 to 1 is is an extremely high number for for that matchup where somebody really does have big weapons and has taken some of the very best people all the way. I mean... And his very first Masters event, he um, what was it his Masters? I can't remember. First ATP event, anyway. Um, Massetti beat Vavrinka comfortably. I know it's a different game, but Vavrinka's one of the best players ever to play on clay. Um, and uh, this this event, I know he got taken to five in the last round, but that's again, it's another established clay court to someone who again has beaten Djokovic at the French. So mm. it's it's not as if he's beating bad names at the moment. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> if you told me like your life's on the line, ask who's going to win this match. Um, it's Djokovic. Djokovic is going to win that match probably. But 10 to 1 is big value for, for just one result that has to go against. And as I say, because of the weaponry that, that happens, and I mean, yeah, Djokovic will look good in the French, but he's not looked great all clay court season. Um, so it's, for me, value. Um, I don't think it's going to come in, but well, that's what wild cards are for. So... Yeah, not 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 a bad shout, I guess. I mean, I I obviously back Djokovic, but I guess as you say, it's not out of the realms of possibility. And ten ten to one is is quite a big number. Um, I instead I've gone for an outright for my wild card. Um, I've gone for Alex Verov at nine to one. I'd be going each way, um, for sure, um, because he's in the opposite half to Nadal and Djokovic. Um, has Nishikori next, who he should beat, and then you'd back him to beat. Del Bonis or Davidic Fikina. And then he's in the semis, probably against Sitsapas. And you know, I, I I would back him there personally. I I know Sitsapas has had a good season, but that's a matchup that it it's good for Zverev, I think, personally. Um I think that two-hander sledging into the one where Sitsapas he's timed it better this season, but has had issues with it. I think it suits. So I like I like that pick actually. Yeah, and you know, if you go each way, you've got effectively, you know, four and a half to one on him reaching the final. If he gets there, gets Nadal, he's he's one of the few people in the draw who has you know a slim chance of beating Nadal. I'd say, you know, I, you know, a very slim chance, but I think he could actually do it. He's uh, one of the very few who, as I said earlier, is uh, is the kryptonite as a as a right hander to Nadal, mm-hmm. um, because um, you have to effectively have the world's best backhand to to beat that that lefty forehand and um 
there's basically three people out there I can think you have that, and that's Fognini, Djokovic, and Zverev. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, I think he does have a chance when you get all the way as well. Um, I think the odds are still slightly underwhelming for for what it is, given that it's a slam, and we're talking about him actually winning the the hardest one to win mm. as his first. Yeah. Um, but but no, that's that's not not a bad pick at all. Um, I think the only reason I liked the Massetti pick is because it's I'm I'm just looking at one match. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with with Zverev, you're you're looking at can he beat an informed Sitsipas? Yeah, and then obviously you've then made some money because you got each way. But then if you've got that win, is then can he beat Nadal? And that's that's tough. Yeah, but even you know even if he loses the final, you're still going to be in profit. Yeah, of course, and that's why I think it, that's why I think it's a good pick. Mm-hmm. Um, I just liked the uh, the ten to one all or nothing <laughs> was was my go to there. Fair enough. Um, well, actually, my my wild card this week was going to be a a ten to one single similarly, and it was Andreas Seppi to beat Felix Auger Aliassime, just because I thought ten to one was a big number, and you know Felix, you know can lose to anyone, and Seppi's pretty solid. And Seppi lo- is so lo- bad at lo- tennis. Lo- 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 Seppi comes in and and wins in four. God, so. honestly, <laughs> I watched the round after um, in my gap at work, and. I just knew Sun Wukong was never going to lose to that player who is so bad. Seppi, ha- I don't know what's happened to him in the last like three years, but he's bad at tennis. Anyway, um, enough Seppi slander. That's pretty much it for, for this week's podcast on the French Open. Hopefully we'll have a little bit of uh, success because I know our last few podcasts went a bit awry. Um, but uh, yeah, as I say, hopefully this will be the the return of the podcast a little bit. I think things have started to calm down in terms of returning to normal social life as well as my work now. So uh, so hopefully we'll have a bit more continuity moving into the grass court season, which is actually my favourite swing anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so so Nottingham Challenger coming up this next week. Um, basically, I think it's just going to be one to keep an eye on because there's a lot of big names in it and. We haven't discussed it too much this week, but uh, it'd be interesting to see who who pulls out some good grass court performances. Because as Luke mentioned earlier, those guys haven't played a competitive match on this surface for at least a year and a half, couple of years now. Um, training matches are very different, so this is going to be a real a real kind of show as to as to what might happen moving into the sort of queens and then into the uh, the actual Wimby itself. So. Um, Hopefully, uh, it'll give us a bit of an insight. But otherwise, uh, thank you for joining me this week, Luke. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, That's okay. And um, I'll try and get this up as soon as possible uploaded. Um, Bearing in mind it was recorded on the Sunday morning prior to most of these matches happening. Uh, These matches that we spoke about are coming across the Sunday and the Monday. Um, And then, obviously, we're moving into quarter semis and finals, really, after that. So, um, so yeah. Uh, Round of 16 this Sunday, Monday. Um, enjoy and we'll see you again next week so thank you for listening Uh, follow the Twitter handle at Serving Up Clutch obviously we do have a sort of monthly football podcast as well Um, so at Clutch Football and um, give those all a listen and follow for some potentially in play tips on our Twitter as well so thank you very much and goodbye